a potato with Mickey Mouse ears. That's how Chris Ray describes the American pika, a small rabbit-like mammal that lives high up in mountain ranges. And she should know she's been studying the critter for over 30 years, and pika do have a high cuteness factor, but it might be more apt to call them a canary rather than a potato, as in a canary in a coal mine. That's because pika like it cold. The broken rock habitats, or talus fields, where they live, collect lots of seasonal ice and permafrost, keeping things underneath nice and chilly. But as the climate warms, there could be less of that ice, and that could put the pikas in peril and impact our water supply. So Ray, a researcher at the University of Colorado at Boulder and INSTAR, the Institute for Arctic and Alpine Research, is leading a team to find out how the pika are doing and, well, whether or not they're stressed out. We found that pikas are less stressed where they occur right in the sweet spots of the watershed where there's uh, seasonal ice underneath the taluses. So how do they know if the animals are stressed? They'll collect blood and tissue samples to measure hormones and other indicators. Chris and her students have set up study areas like one we've hiked to today in the mountains above Boulder. Earlier this morning, they set out traps to catch the pika, and within an hour, two had been captured. The first step will be to anesthetize the little creatures. After all, there's going to be a fair amount of probing that any one of us would find uncomfortable. So we like them to get a little bit woozy before they really get the full strength of this stuff. Chris is transferring the pika into something she calls the anesthetizing chamber, which she made out of a pasta jar and an old-time film canister, which holds the anesthetic. They just breathe it in, and it slowly puts them to sleep, so they, they get relaxed. And as the pika start to drift off, doing things like licking or blinking or maybe walking kind of wobbly, they can begin to examine the animal more closely to find out what sex it is, whether or not it's been tagged before, and take those tissue samples. I confess that the way they take the blood leaves me a bit wobbly, so I'm going to avert my eyes for this portion of the procedure. Um, There's a capillary bed right behind the eye that opens pretty easily and closes off really easily and the body spends a whole lot of resources to keep that antiseptic. It looks pretty crazy when you first see it, but it's the safest thing for the animal. Once they've collected their data, the pika is released back to the talus field where they found him or her. They will track a few dozen animals over time and then evaluate the health of this particular ecosystem. So far, they've started to see some real correlation between where the pikas are located and climate change. But Chris says they're going to need to do a lot more study. But this kind of research is time-consuming, and individual researchers can't cover a lot of ground. So that's where you come in. If you're a citizen scientist or want to be, they'd love to have your help. There's this great growing movement in the United States of people doing citizen science to try to answer some of these pressing environmental questions. That's Megan Mueller, senior conservation biologist with Rocky Mountain Wild, who leads volunteers to help with the pika research. We thought we could make a real contribution to figuring out how pikas are doing in Colorado. Rocky Mountain Wild worked with Chris Ray and Colorado Parks and Wildlife to develop a program that they now run in partnership with the Denver Zoo called the Front Range 
Hika project. Over the course of the summer, volunteers will go out to monitoring sites, which could be a short jaunt or a serious trek away. The sites vary in how difficult they are to get to. So some are pretty easy and some are long hikes with lots of off-trail navigating and bushwhacking and crossing creeks and, you know, getting up high onto the top of mountains. So it's a real adventure. We have some very adventurous (laughs) citizen scientists. Once they get to the sites, they determine whether or not the pikas are present by looking for them or listening for their calls, which sort of sound like a squeaky toy. They also measure other variables to learn about possible impacts from climate change. They can put temperature data loggers under the talus in some places so we can monitor the temperature all year long and figure out what's happening with the temperature the pikas are actually experiencing. Um, They collect scat that we can use to get genetics and stress hormones. Beyond determining how the animals are doing, this research can also offer guidance about how to help the pika to be more resilient. Things like building rocky patches between talus fields so they don't have to be out in the heat when they forage. And by helping them, we might also be helping ourselves. Again, Chris Ray. Pikas need to be cool in the summer and warm in the winter, like all of us. Uh, They're a little bit more sensitive, though. They they don't sweat or pant or anything to shed heat. So they get down underneath the rocks, and if there's permafrost or seasonal ice down underneath there, all the better. They can shed heat even faster. There's even running water or whatever under the talus. Then they can shed their heat quickly. So they need that resource. We also need that resource. It turns out that taluses produce more of the late summer flow out of our watersheds uh, than other areas. And that late summer flow is really important for topping off our reservoirs. So there's a good chance that if you don't see pika in an area where they used to be, it might be telling us about what could happen to our own water resources as the climate warms. For H2O Radio in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler.